Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. We have an exciting program this week, and without further ado, let's get to our first guest. Monica Monica Hamilton is the small business expert for McAfee, the number one resource for protecting enterprises from dangers on the Internet. We're particularly happy to have her on the show because a recent survey revealed one in five businesses that are hacked and lose monies through fraudulent conveyances close within five years. Monica, welcome to the program. Hi, Don. Thank you very much for having me on today. Well, thank you for being here. It's Mother's Day, and uh, I know all of us are busy. But first, uh, Monica, tell us a little bit about yourself. How, sure. How, okay. I've been in high tech since the uh, the good old days where you would go out and go to someone's garage and buy a computer where you'd swap the floppies just to get your OS to run and save your data on another one. <laughs> but uh, I've been in security for a little over 15 years Um I started out working for a company called Verifone that does point-of-sale terminals, and I was teaching programmers how to write RSA and DES encryption algorithms onto smart card uh, chip cards so that they could encrypt transactions and, and data that went across the modem lines back in the good old days. Since then, I've worked with a number of mobile companies, Nokia, Motorola, running um, app stores and developer programs and just staying kind of involved in the whole software ecosystem. And for the past year, I've been at McAfee now, running their um, global software products and, and solutions marketing team uh, for small to medium businesses, where I'm responsible for driving the overall communications and strategy and approach to the small business uh, market for McAfee products. Well, first, uh, I want to talk about uh, cybersecurity, <clears throat> but first... Uh, uh, what are the particular problems of small business in terms of uh, protecting themselves? Sure. Well, the reason that small businesses have become the target of cybercrime um, is primarily due to four factors. One is they have limited expertise, and so they typically have deployed a rudimentary security solution. Typically, it consists of antivirus and a firewall. Um, that's pretty much a 10-year-old model because most cyber criminals nowadays are attacking from the web and email and across multiple fronts, um, not just sharing files from one you know, uh, portable drive to another. Um, so they have limited expertise. They don't have the complex security systems in place that major corporations have. And so it makes it much, they make themselves a much easier target for cyber criminals. The second reason is they have limited control. Uh, they don't have adequate budget to buy everybody the top-of-the-line device, and so they allow a lot of their employees to bring their personal devices to work. And once that personal device leaves at the end of the day, they have no control over what's going on, whether they're taking it home and doing online gambling or handing it to their children. Their children are out playing online games and downloading suspect files. They just have no control over that. Uh, they have limited budgets, and so because of this, they, they either have to scrimp and save on how much security they deploy. Alternatively, they can't afford to go out and criminally pursue someone who is hacking them. So let's say that they do have the right systems in place and they can determine who has hacked them. For them to go after and prosecute somebody is going to be an expensive proposition. And traditionally, smaller businesses don't have that type of discretionary budget to invest there. And then finally and foremost, they have limited awareness and limited understanding of what's happening in the cybercrime market. Um, it's no longer this pimple-faced teenager sitting in a garage trying to hack into the school database and change his grades. It's gone to something more insidious and more malicious where it's organized crime who hire experienced programmers trying to find vulnerabilities in your systems and your software that you aren't even aware of and 
going out there with the financial motivation of stealing your personal information, your customer's information, your credit card, and financial data. Well, look, even the biggest companies, uh, we just saw this week the 56, uh, I think it was 56 million dollars was stolen uh, from large banks by an organized ring. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw that story. Um, uh, Even the largest organizations are vulnerable. Uh, How does a small business uh, start to uh, at least think about the problem and, and develop solutions? I think the very, very first fundamental factor is to understand what's happening. I don't expect everybody out there to, to be as passionate about cybercrime as I am. I, I'm one of those nerds that sit around and I read about hacks and you know what, what these people are doing and how they're doing it because I find it intriguing. But the reality is that you just need to understand the basics. You need to understand that there are four phases to any attack. You know, that first phase is that initial contact. Someone probably sent you an email that has a link in it to something like a cute furry kitten video. And you you think, wow, that's harmless. Click on that cute furry kitten video. And you may be watching a cute furry kitten video, but in the background, some type of malicious software is downloading to your computer. So beware of of unsolicited emails. Stay away from malicious websites. So if if you look at something and you hover your, your cursor over a URL, make sure that that URL is a valid URL. Because what's happening now is, Cyber criminals are going out there and they are putting masks in front of these these legitimate websites. They look exactly like these legitimate websites, but they're out there to gather your financial information without your knowledge. Um, there's physical access, whether you're sharing a USB stick or some type of portable hard drive. And then network access, using unsecured Wi-Fi. People can sniff the traffic off of an unsecured Wi-Fi very, very easily. They just sit in parking lots around McDonald's or Subway, and they just grab that traffic, and they take that information and and distill it down into the information that they need to execute um, malicious activities. Uh, The next phase in in the attack, after they've made first contact, is local execution. So how does that get into your computer? Well, it tries to find some type of vulnerability. It finds a vulnerability that's in your hardware or software, it finds the vulnerability in you. Maybe you do like furry kitten videos. And now it's identified you as liking cute little videos about animals, and it continues to send you these. Or maybe it finds some type of configuration error. Maybe you haven't set up your antivirus correctly, or you haven't turned everything on. Or maybe you haven't installed the right kind of antivirus. Um, or maybe you just have only installed antivirus and a personal firewall, but you haven't done any email or web security. So it finds these ways that it can execute locally, get on that device and stay on the device. The next phase is it establishes this presence. It wants to stay on that device. So it goes out there, it downloads itself, it modifies admin rights, so now it can go down there as your administrator and it can change all of your settings on your on your device. Whether that's your PC, your tablet, your smartphone, it gets in there, it becomes the administrator, and it modifies the boot record, it modifies any type of software that you have installed, including security software, persists on that device, it stays there. So the goal of any malware is to preserve itself, to stay on that device. So it replicates itself, it hides in various places, it names itself common names that you think are secure, so you can't identify it. And then finally it goes out and executes its malicious activity. So by the time it gets to that malicious activity, it's out there stealing your financial data, it's um, uh, manipulating you to giving it ransom money, It's, it's doing whatever that bad behavior is. And you know what that phase is? That's the phase at which antivirus software catches it. And that's the fourth and final phase. That's way, way too late. So if our small to medium businesses can understand these four phases of attack, they can better defend themselves and understand that that fourth phase, antivirus, that's like having a goalie on a soccer field. You've got to have it, otherwise they're going to get to your goal. But you also have to have a defense and an offensive line. And those are your web and email security products as well. Um, 90% of all email is still spam. There are 144 billion messages that are sent on a daily basis. 90% of that is spam. If you do not have an email product out there that's securing your email, imagine how much traffic is getting into your network, bogging down your systems. And then websites. If you start looking at the number of malicious websites that are out there, there are thousands and thousands of websites that are built on a daily basis that are out there just to gather your information. These websites are also used for phishing. So when someone sends you that unsolicited email with a URL attached in it and you click on that, you're going to a phishing site. 
So it's really important to have a layered security approach. Web, email, antivirus. Uh, that that was as complete and, and uh, uh, a summation as I've heard in a long time. Um, I, I hope our uh, and before you leave, I'm going to ask you to summarize it. But let's talk a little bit. Um, I, I noticed uh, uh, in a, a release recently that uh, even uh, um, uh, Apple products, which were for many years um, uh, protected against it, are now even vulnerable to uh, uh, online uh, bandits. Is that That's right? Um, uh, people seem to think, uh, and and the worst part seems now to be that with so many uh, people accessing the um, web with um, uh, uh, tablets and iPhones, the, the problem is magnified. Uh, That's you, right. Can you address that a little bit? Or? You bet. So if you think about the good old days when computing first started back in the 70s and the 80s, um, we didn't have this ubiquitous access to the web, and we didn't have this global access to cybercrime. It was evolving at that time. Um, now that everybody is connected, everybody is a potential target. Um, there are vulnerabilities in software that these hackers are out there trying to find on a daily basis. There are these organized businesses built on finding these vulnerabilities, creating algorithms that take advantage of them, and selling them on the black market. There's even a gray market where governments trade in these types of algorithms as well. So it's not, no longer just a, a, fact, a matter of us accidentally sending something to one another. It's organized crime, it's big business, and it attacks any and every device and any and every operating system. Because let's face it, if you have a device and you get onto the Internet, you are an open target. Well, someone might uh, say, well, then why go on, on the Internet at all? But, but we all know uh, we can't live today without the Internet. That's right. That's right. It's like eating and breathing for all of us, <laughs> especially as tech people. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I miss the telephone. Uh, I know, I know. The old days would, would actually ring, <laughs> not talk to you. Yeah. Well, as a news organization, we're subjected to uh, 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 we're kind of caught. We see something uh, that seems interesting, and we kind of want to look at it. Uh, <clears throat> but then, when we look at it, we, we uh, uh, seem to um, uh, we seem to be um, uh, putting ourselves in a vulnerable position. Uh, yeah. Just. Just yesterday, I got an email from someone named Jay Mazzella. Now, oh no! Yes, uh, uh, Mazzella is not a common name, but but if you do have it, we're kind of related. And I I debated for five minutes whether I should click on it or not, and decided to not to. That's uh, probably wise on your part. Yes, I I think so. Uh, we we get a lot of messages that uh, that say, uh, uh, "Mary, you must see this," oh, and then yeah. there's a link. Uh, people should should avoid that. Yes, it's uh, this is called social engineering, and they prey upon the weakness of the user. Um, this is just you know typical criminal activity, right? I, I mean, in the old days, it would be someone coming door to door, ringing your doorbell, trying to sell you something that wasn't real. I mean, like it was a fake good, it would fall apart minutes after they left and so on. Or, or coming in and selling roofing, a new roof to a, an elderly person who would pay up front for the services rendered and never receive anything. It's a very similar attack. It preys upon the user's familiarity and weakness. Um, in your case, it was leveraging your last name to, you know, claim relative to you. Um, social engineering is one of the oldest tactics, and it, it can be avoided if you leverage, like I said, the email products that, that companies like McAfee sell, um, because what we do is we filter out those emails that contain what we classify as, as malicious content. So we can identify that particular content by matching it against our database. We have this global threat intelligence database that gathers data from over 100 million of our users anonymously. 
and we can build these profiles that we can then match websites and emails against. Um, our email products puts your email through five different types of filters before we determine whether or not it's a, it's a good email to let you view. And so at one of those points, we're going to catch that email. It's going to match one of our filters. It's going to match one of our behavioral algorithms, and we're going to catch it and filter it out so you never see it. So with this Global Threat Intelligence Database, it sits behind all of our products. We've got 300 uh, threat scientists that are out there monitoring that. You know, as we speak, they're out there looking at the data that's coming in, determining if there are patterns to the data, determining what the next phase is in this attack, and they're building this out and putting it into our products. And the interesting thing is we've got two types of products. We've got on-premise products, which are your standard software products that you download and you install on your computer, you pay for them all up front, and then you, um, you update those yourself. And then we have a different set of products called our cloud products, which are also what we call security as a service, SaaS. And these you pay on a monthly basis, and we take care of all that updating for you in the background. So when we get this information from our global threat intelligence database, our scientists come up with an algorithm to prevent that malicious activity from happening. We immediately send that out to all of our cloud users, and then we send out a DAT file to all of our on-premise users who then distribute that to their um, user base. These cloud products are really nice because – if you're a small business owner and you have less than 100 employees, you probably don't have an IT person on staff. You probably don't have a big budget to buy a bunch of servers to sit out there and, and um, load on your security software and manage that. And so you probably want something that's really hands-off that you don't have to think about, that you turn it on and leave it. And that's what McAfee Cloud products do. We've got web email, and what we call endpoint, which is device protection, that antivirus and personal firewall. And all three of those are available in this, this cloud version that is constantly up to date. We take care of all the management and the maintenance of it. Um, we have a, a number of these database farms out there around the world that are tweaked and tuned to take all of your traffic, scrub it, and send it back in clean. Uh, so that would help in that, in that particular instance, Don. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Uh, be, uh, the, uh, many small businesses are debating whether they should move to the cloud. Would it be safer to be in the cloud uh, with all of, the, of this uh, than maintaining your own smaller uh, uh, installation? Well, the cloud has a lot of advantages to it. Um, and I, I wouldn't you know, hazard a guess to say one is safer than the other because I think that once you leverage a product like that, <laughs> McAfee's, you know, cloud-based products or McAfee's on-premise products, if you do a layered security approach, you're going to be covered. Um, so they both have the same level of security at that point. But the cloud has advantages for smaller businesses um, that you, you wouldn't get if you were, you know, from a, a less than 99 employees, you're not going to get this. You get the agility of the cloud. So when things are developed, the minute they're developed and they go through our test labs, we release them immediately to our cloud customers. Our on-premise customers have to then take those files and they have to deploy them themselves. So there's a, a time delay in there. Um, there are cost efficiencies because small businesses in, in few, just a few years ago, they didn't have access to these larger-scale systems. I mean, our cloud products have the exact same infrastructure as our products that we use with the Department of Defense. And so uh, small businesses, because of cloud, now have access to bigger systems with more features and can compete on a global scale with these. Um, they get access to the latest and greatest in terms of features and functionality. And then they get improved IT service because we man these 24 by 7 with security experts. And so anytime you have a, a problem, you just call one of our experts that man these systems and we take care of it for you. If you had an on-premise system, your IT person is responsible for that. So your IT person is going to have to become a security expert to be able to support your users as well. So in terms of, of cloud versus on-premise, my bet is on cloud for small businesses with fewer than 100 employees. Uh, we have uh, one minute left. Can you uh, uh, kind of summarize what a small business uh, leader should uh, uh, know about uh, security of his his or her system? Sure. I think that um, first and foremost, it's important to have a security policy in place. It doesn't have to be a 50-page document. It can be as simple as a single page profiles out what each user should be doing. Um, even if you're a one-person shop, you need to know how to secure your computers. First and foremost, never do your online banking and financial transactions from the same computer that you just 
surf broadly on. So keep those two very separate. Secondly, uh, deploy a layered security approach. Have antivirus and a firewall solution as your, your goalie, your endpoint protection, but also incorporate web and email so that you can stop the threats before they even enter your, your business environment. And then finally, educate your employees. Make sure that employees understand what your antivirus and your web and your email products look like and what they do, how to leverage those products for them. Make sure that they understand what type of sites, what type, what phishing emails look like, what the threats look like. Stay, stay on top of the threats. You don't have to be, de- you know, have detailed knowledge of them, but stay on top of them. An easy way to do that is to go to McAfee's website. We put out a quarterly threat report, and you can download that and read that, and it talks about all the threats that we're seeing in the environment at a very high level, so you can easily understand what's going on. And then finally, and and not least of all, and you're going to love this one is passwords, right? I mean. Passwords are the bane of our existence. We have, I can't, I, I, don't, I have no idea how many passwords I have. The point is, you can't use the same password for every system that you access. That makes it way, way too easy for cyber criminals. So use a different password for every system. Make sure it's complex. Make sure that it is not, it doesn't contain a word that can be found in the dictionary. It's really easy for me to come into your system and hack you because I can figure out your birthday, your wife's birthday, your anniversary, the name of your pet, the name of your children. I mean, those are the the, the top most used hacks. There's also a list on the web about the most commonly used passwords. Please don't use any of those. Princess, uh, Power User 103. Stay away from those. Use something that it actually has absolutely no sense to you, just random you know, keys on your keyboard and mix it with numbers and punctuation, and you'll be fine. Wow, you just uh, told me two things that I do that I have to change to, uh, when I, the minute I get back to the office. <laughs> uh, uh, Monica, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back again soon, and we'll talk further. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, and happy Mother's Day to everybody. <laughs> Uh, thank you. In a moment, our next guest will be Rick Gauntlet, founder of Grilly, who has a very interesting uh, use uh, of, about America's love of cars. But first, a word from our sponsor. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business, and it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M dot com. Again, D-E-E-M dot com for all your small business needs. Welcome back to Small Business Digest Radio. I am Don Don Mazzella. Since the invention of the Ford Model T, America's love affair with cars has expanded and thrived. We even now uh, support the Japanese economy. In a nation where there are more cars than drivers, entrepreneurs in the auto industry look for a way to stand out from the pack. Rick Gauntlet, founder and president of Grilly, has taken America's passion for the automobile and put his own unique twist in. Originally his stepfather's hobby business, the company imported and sold hood ornaments from the UK. But Rick saw an even greater opportunity, and when he took over the business, he he really expanded it. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Don. Great to be here. Well, um, I'm really excited. I have a friend uh, who's earned two Rolls Royces, and his proudest possession are the Rolls Royce medallions. Um, Yeah, the uh, Spirit of Ecstasy. (laughs) Yes. Um, Is the the name of that hood ornament. Well, uh, first, let's talk a little bit about you and how you came to uh, develop this business. Then we'll talk about Grilly and how – then we'll talk about Grilly. Sure. Go right ahead, Rick. How did you uh, first come to this? Well, uh, it was something actually, uh, the notion of a grill ornament was, was my stepfather's idea. And I was, you know, fairly busy with my own thing. I have a financial planning practice and uh, <clears throat> is uh, actually my 
my stepfather had become ill, and we were really having a chat on on his deathbed, and he said, gee, you know, it would be kind of neat if you did something with my little hobby business. And, you know, at the time, it wasn't something that I was really thinking about, but a couple weeks after he had passed, you know, I just started to mull it over, and uh, he had actually created uh, oh, maybe about eight or nine grill ornaments that were mostly dog breeds because he was, you know, very passionate about dogs. Uh, but as I started to think about it, you know, gosh, this would be such a great way for, uh, you know, people to, you know, extend, uh, you know, their passion to, you know, uh, and combine, you know, America's love affair with the car. And, you know, if we were going to do something, you know, what could it be? And then as, you know, I started to think about it, it's almost, you know, limitless in, in terms of, you know, what could be done. Uh you know, in terms of uh, the actual ornaments that uh, my stepfather Ron was making, uh, it uh, he was doing castings in solid bronze, which uh, you know there were a variety of different challenges everywhere from cost to packaging and some other things. So is you know I started to think, gosh, you know, you know, this really is a great idea and. It could be expanded, you know, almost exponentially. Uh, you know, what are the challenges that we have to overcome first, just to see number one if it's feasible, and you know, kind of go from there. So that's you know, a little bit of the background on it all. So, what is a grilly, and what is a grilly? Uh, grillies are just you know really fun, unique ornaments that are intended to bolt onto the uh, grill of a car or a truck. Uh, what's interesting is, is we've found people that have already found other uses for them. So we've seen them on mailboxes and on uh, doors and and other places. But uh, originally, they're you know intended to uh, go on the grill of a car. And you know, like uh, <clears throat> well, what's always kind of fascinating because I've always been a bit of a car guy. Uh, if you look at the history of the hood ornament, uh, hood ornaments were really the first way that people. It uh, started to customize their cars, and the hood ornament actually served three functions. It was a radiator cap, a thermostat, and an ornament. Uh, and if you go back, probably the you know late twenties through the nineteen thirties, uh, it's my understanding through some research that there used to be around three hundred companies around the world that all they did was make hood ornaments. So, kind of understanding that most people aren't necessarily interested in drilling a couple holes in the hood of their car, it's like, okay, great. Well, you know, it shouldn't be too difficult to actually bolt it onto the grill of the car. So uh, so that's what they are. Uh, we make them right here in the USA, and that was something that uh, was very important to us. We wanted to focus on uh, creating a really quality product, something that was very unique, uh, and uh, and keep it here in the U.S., um, well, let's talk. How do you decide to create a, uh, a grilly? How, how do you decide to? Well, no, in uh, other words, a specific grilly. Uh, for oh, a specific. Okay. Well, I think it really, if if you take a look at our product line, uh, we've got about a dozen or so categories that range from uh, pet breeds to you know sportsmen and outdoor wildlife type uh, type ornaments. You just really started asking myself, you know, what is it that people are passionate about? Uh, and going back to, you know, uh, you know, referencing the dog breeds, you know, people are absolutely passionate about their pets and their dogs, for example. So, you know, we just started by saying, okay, great, let's, you know, in this instance, let's let's take a look at the top. I think we've got 28 different dog breeds right now, and we've just added a paw print for all the people that maybe enjoy more than one breed or, you know, are just a, a fan of the old-fashioned lovable mutt. So, uh, you know, we just, you know, what is it that people are passionate about? What are they, you know, what do they historically express themselves about? And that's kind of kind of how we come up with the different ornaments. Well, first, how do people, what's your website? Uh, the website is www.grilly.com, and that's G-R-I. L L I E. 
Well, um, since most of our listeners are small businesses, what have you found have been the the three uh, reasons for your success? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think the the success comes at least in this case from being stubborn and pig-headed sometimes and just having undogged determination. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, another thing, actually, is I have managed to find some great uh, people who have championed me, if you will, uh, people that, you know, have expertise and resources in complementary businesses, if you will, uh, again, my background uh, most recently has been as a financial advisor, you know, so what did I really know about creating cast ornaments? Absolutely nothing. Uh, so, I, you know, I pretty pretty quickly found some people that had a lot of passion for the product and the idea and everything. Uh, and then, uh, the, I don't know, the third thing in terms of what's made it successful uh, just really paying attention to what's kind of going on around you because I think what a lot of times what you think going into a project or a new startup may be the case uh, quite often isn't. So you've got to be open-minded and uh, you know be willing to uh, perhaps change your direction a little bit and uh, adapt to whatever it is that you need to adapt to. So. Well, it seems as if you, uh, you're the type of person that uh, listens to what others say and listens to your customer uh, to, to develop a successful strategy. Is that, is uh, that yeah, I'd like to think so, anyhow. Well, uh, well uh, many times uh, small business uh, leaders fail because they ha uh, – what's the difference between stubbornness and flexibility and uh, – uh, commitment to a specific uh, 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 strategy. Uh, it's knowing when when to do when to uh, move between the three that uh, often spells success. If you were starting up to, out today, is there one thing you would do differently than than you did when you started? Uh, well, obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There might be a, a couple things that I do differently, but uh you know it's it's one of those things that you know i can't i can't go back and and change what i've done so uh you know if there's probably anything it would be just in, in terms of the business planning to understand that you you can't anticipate everything so whether it's you know budgeting or or whatever you know, plan on it being something greater than what your original business plan is. You know, really err on the so side of uh, caution in your planning because surprises are going to come up. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, leave yourself on uh, such a razor's edge that, you know, at that point there's really nothing more you can do. And, you know, you know unfortunately, you know, you never know what could happen in your business or your startup at that point. So, um, uh, again, for our listeners, the, uh, your website is uh, www.grilly g r i l l i e dot com. And uh, so very easy to find too. Find and uh, actually, we get. Uh, I, I did find a great. Uh, uh, designer and developer for my website so we get uh, we get plenty of great compliments on it and it's ease of navigation and whatnot so well i can uh, i can uh, vouch for that because i went to look at it before the show and i was quite impressed uh my my question if in case i want to get my friend uh do you have a rolls royce grilly uh well, if if it's the spirit of ecstasy that you're talking about, that's a that's a trademarked uh, piece of artwork uh, that's that's owned by Rolls Royce. Uh, I suppose at some point maybe we'll do an actual Rolls Royce, and uh, we can we can you know turn that into a grill. That might be kind of fun and interesting. See who latches onto that. 
I I happened uh, to catch on Thursday the Yellow Rolls Royce, the movie, and uh, 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 perhaps you can use that that as a uh, an example because uh, if you remember, if you ever see the movie, but that's neither here nor there. We uh, uh, we thank you for coming on the show because uh, uh, you're an example of how. Uh, identifying a real niche and, and uh, working it can make a small business successful. Thank you. Well, it, well, Don, thanks for, for having me on. It was uh, great to speak to your listeners, and happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. And, uh, our, uh, we're going to our next commercial, and then our uh, last guest is Eric Gilbroad, uh, who is a Canadian and a very smart marketeer for small business. But first, a word from our sponsor. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2 hsa.com that's to hsa.com we're, we're back live today and our last guest is Eric Gilbroad he is a Canadian with much experience starting and successfully building small businesses but his real strength is helping other small business leaders grow their uh, enterprises Eric welcome to our show are you there, Eric? What am I supposed to uh, Hello? Uh, oh, yes. Eric, are you there? You, you I'm are. here. I'm sorry. I had a little glitch uh, on my side. Welcome to the show. Well, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. And just to set the record straight, it's Eric Gilboard. Ah. Okay. <laughs> uh, pl- please do. I have it as Gilbroad. And uh, no, I will slap, I will slap my wrist because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a common mistake. It's okay. <laughs> but it's uh, a pleasure being on your show. Thank you. Well, first, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I've got, uh, I guess, about uh, 35, 36 years uh, experience in marketing. The first half was with large national and international agencies as well as specialty shops. So I have a pretty broad-based background in marketing. There's not a whole lot that I haven't done. The last uh, 18 years or so, um, I've had my uh, my own company that uh, focused uh, primarily on small and medium-sized business, and I've worked with, I guess, over 300 small and medium-sized businesses in the last 18 years, so I kind of know that audience really well, uh, and I know the special needs of that audience. But, um, you know, to bring things up to date, you know, I think it's a blend of traditional uh, marketing and, uh, and new media marketing. It's not kind of one or the other. It's a blend of all the different things that are available uh, to you to use as tools in your marketing. Well, um, uh, you're a Canadian, but you work uh, on both sides of the border. Sure. Uh, what are the differences? Uh, uh, what are the differences between Canadian and American? And more specifically, is it better, to, uh, easier to be a small business in Canada or the United States? Well, you know, there's a couple of different. There's a geographic difference, and then there's kind of a um, an attitude and slash emotional difference, if you will. Canadians tend to be a little bit more laid back. They tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, kind of prove-it-to-me types of people. And and my experience with working with U.S. companies is they tend to be a little more, you know, a lot more aggressive and um, uh, just generally, you know, kind of go for it. Canadians tend to lean back a little bit and kind of hope that, you know, something will come to them. The other, uh, not all Canadians, so if you have Canadians listening to the uh, to the show, but um, the other difference is the geographic difference. And, and um, essentially in Canada, you've got one-tenth of the population in the United States, but you have a huge, you know, physical um, area that, you know, one would have to communicate in. And so 
in the United States, you can have someone who's a regional kind of a business and have a significant amount of success and more success than they could have, you know, than a Canadian company could have in, in Canada. So it's not unusual to find a, you know, a $5 million company in Canada that's essentially the same sophistication as a $50 million company in, uh, in the United States. We, we tend to learn how to make $100 look like $1,000, and we tend to try to make it work a lot harder, but those are the basic kind of differences. Well, um, uh, in the last two years, uh, the world is the world has changed. Uh, it changes every three or four years. But um, you said at the start uh, it was a combination now of the internet, social media, and other. Uh, what are you, what are the obstacles you you see facing small companies today, marketing wise? Marketing-wise, it, it tends to be just a, a, a general lack of experience. It tends to be almost a fear of marketing. I had one business owner, and, and this gentleman was a, a very successful serial uh, you know, business owner, and he described it to me as having a bag over your head, you know, walking around trying to figure out marketing. He just... It was just very, very difficult for people to uh, to understand what it is. And marketing at its core is very simple. It's saying the right thing to the right person at the right time. You've got to do the upfront work to figure out what those things are, but it's actually you know, not that complicated. And the other problem is that small businesses and even larger businesses will tend to, when the next new thing comes along, they'll just sort of jump to that, and then eventually they'll realize that, you can't just abandon what you were doing before. You have to blend the two uh, the two together. Um, uh, when you you go into a small company, uh, mm-hmm. what what are the what are the first things you uh, ask or do uh, looking at their marketing problem or their marketing? Uh... Well, for most of the time, I mean, with with many. Uh, many, many small, medium-sized businesses, what tends to happen is that they have a sales division, they have a sales force, and it could be two people or five people or ten people or, you know, or, or, or a lot more than that, but they typically don't recognize that um, 20% of their salespeople do 80% of the business. So that's sort of kind of one area that you, you know, you, you, you awaken people to the, the reality the other thing is that they tend to have built the business on sales, so there's a, a very disproportionate uh, amount of attention and money spent on sales versus marketing. So they will basically spend most of their effort against the sales side and very, very little effort against the marketing side. So what they probably have, if any, is a little bit of marketing experience over the last number of years. And I, I tend to look and see what have they done in the last two or three or four or five years. And oftentimes people tend to have a bad taste in their mouth because they just, well, they basically didn't do the marketing very well. They they tended to use suppliers that were kind of one-trick ponies or suppliers that had a, a specialty expertise in one area of marketing but could not help them in all the other areas. So it's kind of like if you were building an addition on your home and you found somebody who could put in windows and then you expected them to do floors and ceilings and everything else. Life doesn't work that way. So it's a, a lack of um, of understanding of how uh, how marketing works and it's the disproportion between sales effort and marketing effort. You know, that's interesting you say that. I, I just edited a story uh, in which uh, someone uh, was pointing out that Printers have now become multi-faceted um, uh, uh, suppliers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry to laugh, but <laughs> oh, well, comment. This is what this program's about. Absolutely, uh, I'll comment. Absolutely, I used to say to people that you know I could look at you know you said what do I do when I look look at a company? I ask them to show me what they've done in the past from a marketing standpoint, and I used to look at um, at the marketing materials that a company had prepared in the past. And I would be able to say to them, you know, that was prepared by a designer, that was prepared by a copywriter, and that was prepared by a printer. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if it's prepared by a designer, it typically has very little strategy, if any. It has a lot of pretty pictures and not a lot of copy. 
If it's prepared by a copywriter, it tends to have a lot of copy, fewer pictures, and it might have some strategy, but, but typically not enough to make it work properly. And if it has an extra color, then it was prepared by a printer. I've never heard that. That's that's really interesting. Uh, and, and why did they put in the extra color? Because they could. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could. What, printers, they could what printers do typically is they have, you know, they have some less experienced uh, graphic designer, and they say to a client, "Well, you know, here we can do your marketing." And, and the less than less than experienced graphic designer doesn't have any strategic experience, likely doesn't have any you know copywriting ability. They're a designer, and they need to be directed. So you know if you're going to your local printer, and, and whether it's a local print shop or it's a larger printing organization, I'll make a flat statement that the chances are you're not going to get what you need. You know. Um, uh you're so accurate on that point but um uh when you go in um mm-hmm. do you start do you try to look at the overall market strategy and then for oh, the, sure. uh, well yeah um, you look at, you look at their products and services you look at their competition you look at their customer base you know and again the 80 20 principle is that 20% of your customers do 80% of your business so, you know, once you have that realization and then you recognize that the real opportunity is over here and possibly not in these other two places, you start to focus your efforts, you know, where the real opportunities are. Or if it's a changing industry, which many industries are today, you know, where are your competitors doing better? You know, where are your customers going? What are your customers looking for? Um, you look at all those aspects of it. Well, well, how does a small business, uh, who is oftentimes uh, buried in the detail, uh, uh, turn around and uh, kind of look beyond the weeds? I think that that part of it is is taking a step back. That's sort of one half of the equation. Taking a step back and you know away from you know the day to day. um, You know. a good opportunity is to look at vertical industry publications because oftentimes the publication has gone to the effort of doing all the research and and pretty much at the end of each year most vertical industry publications will have done a wrap up of kind of what's happened in the industry and where it's going so you know the, the information is available there the other side of it is that a a smart small business owner would you know, utilize a combination of their own people and some outside resources, but some outside resources that can provide them the kind of direction that they're looking for. And, you know, strategic direction is clearly, you know, at the, sort of the beginning of the of the uh, the process before you worry about making ads or websites or anything else. Is, you know, it's kind of like 90% of your success is in the um, – the early part in thinking through who you are, who your customer is, you know, what your customer is looking for. You've got to be very, very clear. And in order to do that, you need some help. Well, uh, you know, you bring, you bring up uh, an interesting point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, many small businesses right now are, are facing uh, challenges. Uh, and sometimes uh, you become very creative when you face the hangman in the morning, uh, to mm-hmm. quote, quote Christopher Marlowe. But um, uh, a small business is out there looking at problems, uh, looking. How do how do you go in there and get him or her to focus? I think that it's. Um... <laughs> a really good question how do you get them to focus oftentimes you know it's interesting you can show somebody everything that needs to be done you can create a plan with them but if they don't want to follow through on it um, partly because they're not focused uh, you know it's a kind of a waste of time and and energy so you know I, I come in and I look for somebody who's going to follow through on something and you know if they're going to follow through if they're genuinely um, interested in actually having success, then it's not that difficult to get their focus in place. Sometimes you meet people and it's the shiny object syndrome, 
where they're looking at the next, you know, shiny object and then they want to run and do this or do that. And and basically what I do is, you know, if the question is how do you get them to focus, you just point out how how little success or 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 negative success that you know that they negative impact they've had on their business by not focusing. And if they don't get it at that point, I walk away. I turn down a lot of business because people just aren't uh, aren't willing to do exactly as you just said. Focus on you know on on what the uh, what the challenges are. If they don't have the time, they need outside help. You know whatever that might be. Well, um, uh, you, you're on the program today. What would you mm-hmm. what would you uh, want to tell this audience about marketing and 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 how you see it? Well, one of the things that I would I would uh, like to communicate very strongly is that um, you know it used to be the world of sales and the world of marketing, and never the twain would meet. Um, and and the, the truth of the matter is, the one thing that people really need to take away from this is they need an integrated sales and marketing program. What we found with our company is that because our company and our people are totally integrated, i.e. our sales experts and our marketing experts speak to each other very freely and respect each other, we can go into an organization and we can put together a sales and marketing plan and execute that plan, and we can get much further, much faster by having an integrated sales and marketing plan. So the biggest the biggest takeaway for any small business is their sales and marketing absolutely has to work together. Um, it's been my experience talking to small businesses. That's not that's not often the case. It's um, not the case in big businesses either. <laughs> well, that's, that, what, that's what pe- that's what people are learning. You know, I, I used to know someone who who worked for a very very large um, packaged goods company in the uh, in the cosmetics business and this was many years ago but her job her actual job description was that she was the go-between between between the sales and the marketing department she basically translated you know what marketing thought to the salespeople and what sales thought to the marketing people that was her actual job description in a senior executive position Uh, unfortunately not much has changed since then no it hasn't and uh, um, uh uh sales always complains about marketing and marketing complains about sales uh it's uh, I've been in every, every and both of them are wrong most of the time by the way because they have no idea what they're talking about i'll give you a perfect example typically you know a salesperson will have whatever experience they they have you know based on the last job they worked at and that will be their knowledge of marketing so if the last company or the, you know whatever they did you know, dealt with television commercials, then they think that's marketing. If they dealt with outdoor advertising, then they think that's marketing. They have no understanding of, of you know, how much is involved and, and how and how many different things that you can, you know, that you can drop on. And most marketing people have no idea what it's like to be out in the field and sell. Uh, that's very accurate. But let's talk about the small business leader for a moment, uh, the, the, ma- the sure. man or woman who really runs the company? Do you uh, do you find that they tend to go towards their initial uh, success uh, and their initial uh, uh, experiences, and uh, oftentimes become too rigid in that thinking? Yeah, I think that you you know you stay with your success. You you tend to by is human nature to stay within your comfort zone. Uh, most small and medium-sized business owners that I've dealt with come from a sales type of background. And by that, I mean they may not have been a salesperson, but they built their business by doing sales. So that seems to be why there's a disproportion, because it's it's kind of due to sales success that the company is kind of where, you know, where it is, basically. Um. Tell people how they can reach you if they want to learn more. Uh, they can go to our website, which is www.warrenbdc.com. So it's W-A-R-R-E-N-B-D-C.com. It's Warren Business Development Center. Uh, 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 
do you have an email that they can uh, reach sure. you at? They can, sure, they can reach me at eric, E-R-I-C, at warrenbdc.com. Okay. Now, uh, in the couple of minutes we have uh, remaining, um, if you if you had uh, three uh, pieces of advice for any small business uh, owner today, what would it be? Well, it's a it's a very good question, and and the answer change, tends to change often. I think in, in today's times, and in, in May of 2013, I think they have to stop and look at their industry, and and understand you know what the heck is changing within their industry. Uh, I think that's that's sort of one of the the first points. I think they have to look at their staff and determine who they want to keep and who isn't really contributing to the business. And I will guarantee you that, you know, there's probably more staff that aren't contributing than maybe they really even thought about in the past. Um, I think that um, they've got to, as you said, they've got to step out of their comfort zone and they've got to look out, you know, it's a classic cliche thinking outside the box, but they really do have to think outside the box and they have to think about, you know, other ways of running their business and other ways of, of different products and services and whatnot. Yeah. Let me let me ask you uh, another question. Uh, the cloud, uh, the cloud is is uh, dominating uh, small business thinking in terms of marketing. Uh, companies coming on on board offering cloud products, but more importantly, uh, small businesses trying to figure out whether they should go to the cloud. Do you see that uh, cloud as a, a way of uh, uh, increasing a marketing efficiency? A hundred percent. I'll tell you what I've been doing. I, um, I've switched everything over to basically a Google platform. I have a Google phone. I have a, a Samsung tablet. I have my laptop, and I have my CRM on the cloud, and I have as much as I can. I have my, my email blast stuff on the cloud. I have as much as I can on the cloud, which is basically just means that you have access anytime from anywhere versus being in, in some kind of a you know metal box somewhere in your office and you know that means that I have total flexibility and total immediate access to anything that I want um, I would absolutely suggest that people look at, at moving what they have into the cloud because it's a mobile world from a personal perspective and from your customers and your staff perspective um, and it's a fast moving world and you know I can do something on my phone and and you know 20 minutes later I you know I'm I'm sitting somewhere and I pull up my tablet cuz it's a little more convenient but I'm I'm basically just continuing what I was doing before and um having you know the apps that you that you need to run your business on, on the cloud just makes life way way easier <coughs> Eric uh we run out of time I hope you'll come back sometime and talk some more uh, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, thank you. That that was Eric Gilbord. Um, we're almost to the end of our program, uh, and it's uh, time for our uh, weekly um, uh, update on what some of our experts are saying. Um Uh, I was particularly happy to have Monica Hamilton uh, on the program today because small businesses are facing an unprecedented attack on their intellectual and financial resources by criminals. From the casual visitor who pilfers from desks to the professional shoplifter to the remote villain in Russia who steals monies through Internet frauds, small businesses today are plagued with criminals. Perhaps worse are the internal robbers who pose as loyal employees. An interesting crime statistic, in internal fraud outweighs all other crimes that affect small businesses. Keeping an eye on the till is becoming a more important requirement given the economic conditions today. Another interesting statistic, 
The average employment time for an internal thief is five years. That means the employee who is stealing is often one of the most trusted staff members. Our advice for today, review your internal controls, and as the X-Files always preached, trust no one. Thank you. This is Small Business Digest Radio. You can also uh, uh, go to smallbusinessdigestmag.com to download our magazine. Thank you. <laughs>